You've been back three weeks now, right? Three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah, three wild weeks. Three weeks, a month for me. Both got back from an ayahuasca retreat. And I want to know a little bit about just your journey in general, because I've never really sat down and talked to you about that, right? You know, where, where did all this, where did the beginning of being curious and then eventually becoming an integration coach? Because mm-hmm. we ran into each other originally at Kuya. Yeah. Awesome place, you know. Tell me where you wow. know, this journey for you begins. So it, what's wild was, I, you know, I my gateway into uh, like using psychedelics in a therapeutic sense mm-hmm. was in addiction recovery. So about a year ago, I had a client's parent ask me, hey, what's your story? <clears throat> you know, you've been working with my son and I don't know anything about you. Like, let's hear your story. And I started <clears throat> and about one minute into it. And I just stopped and I had to apologize because it did not even sound like I was talking about myself anymore. Wow. It was weird. It was like in that moment, I just realized like, this doesn't even feel like I'm talking about me right now. And I just yeah. had to take a pause. And, you know, so I guess the best way to tell this story is going like in reverse order, like kind of back to the beginning. Yeah. You know, so <clears throat> most recently um, I moved to, uh, to Austin uh, the week of COVID, I was visiting from Seattle. Yeah. And I was just checking out a job, a potential job that may be available six months down the road. This was on March 5th. And they asked me to come out for the month of of April or actually to come up to, the, to April 1st and just help out. And it's kind of like a, a job interview slash audition. This was at an Ibogaine Aftercare. Okay. I just got certified as a psycho-spiritual integration coach and addiction recovery coach through Being True to You. Okay. And I knew, like, they're like, you know, you do it all through Zoom. I'm just not a technology guy. I don't like looking through screens. Yeah, I knew I that wasn't me. Yeah, I hate it. And this was like really like before COVID, like, like COVID kind of forced everyone to get used to that. Yeah. And now like I'm okay with it. But at the time I'm like, I got to be in person. And my personality is the type of person who has to just go balls deep in, yep. like put myself in the most extreme situations. You know, suffering has always been like a gateway for me. Okay. Yeah. And that's uh, something we'll probably talk about yeah. in this conversation and something that I brought in uh, to heal for ayahuasca, like a part of myself I wanted to lay to rest, mm. that martyrdom mm. piece of it. But I get out here and I get off the plane from Seattle, which was ground zero for COVID. And there's a message saying like, we're not comfortable receiving you. Um, like maybe you should just go back to Seattle. And I called them up. I'm like, I'm here at the airport. So they were forced to kind of come meet me. They quarantined me for four days. And I remember like everyone like meeting me from Seattle. Like everyone was like really cautious and kind of afraid of me. And being that this was a residential place where like clients lived in early recovery after doing Ibogaine. And some of the clients, you know, have uh, HIV from using needles. And uh, we decided that Everyone who worked there either had to move in and stay with the clients so we can contain like and be safe about who comes in and out. And or we'll see you after this COVID thing blows over in a couple of weeks. So everyone opted to just be like, I'm going to stay home. You know, this will blow over in a couple of weeks. And next thing you know, I absorbed three people's jobs. Dang. I was living out of a suitcase and 
basically all the modalities that we normally did on our schedule, like yoga, breath work, going to acupuncture, going to a sweat lodge, everything got canceled. And I had to create the whole integration system for this uh, I began aftercare, like on my own. Dang. And uh, being brand new and living with clients fresh off of what's considered the most powerful psychedelic known to man early in their process, which means like when they come in, they're just destroyed. Ibogaine. Ibogaine. Talk about Ibogaine a little bit. Ibogaine comes from uh, Iboga. Now, Iboga is from Gabon, which is okay. in, um, it's like Western Africa and right next to Cameroon. Okay. And there's a, a tribe there called the Bwiti, and they use it in their rite of passage, like growing up several times. Um, there, it's a five-day experience. It's a root. And they do like a ceremony that lasts five days. Okay. They just eat iboga, which is like the root bark, and drink water for five days. And every day, it has like a different theme to it. There's like a, like a burial day where they it's like a death ritual where they bury you. It's very, very intense. Now, iboga has like 12 different alkaloids to it or derivatives. Ibogaine is the one that has the medicinal part, the psychoactive element. And like any other pharmaceutical out there, what they do is they find a plant and they find the part that has like the, the medical powerful, like, like psychoactive part, and they give you a huge dose of that. Yeah. That's essentially what's happening with Ibogaine. So I I'm okay, so it's a, it comes from a root. Yes, from Iboga, Iboga, which is a shrub that grows in Gabon, which is in Western Africa. Okay. And so then, when it, you take it, it over there, it's more of a ceremonial five-day experience. Very intense, but five days long. Yeah. A lot of music, a lot of dancing, a lot of movement. Mm -hmm. And when you take it medicinally, it does not have the full entourage of the other alkaloids. Yeah. So the experience is a lot harder. <laughs> the other alkaloids buffer yeah, the I experience. Yeah, okay. So it tends to be an 18 hour to 36 hour experience wow. in which you're in a psychedelic dreamlike trance. And there's a chemical that gets released in it that semi like paralyzes you. Okay. People compare it to being steamrolled and jackhammered at the same time. Wow. So it's under medical supervision, EKGs. Yeah. It can be very hard on you. It's very dangerous. So this, I, I began, a lot of addicts take it. Yes, heroin addicts and especially. And when in the process, like, so like when someone's coming from heroin, are they off of it ready or they're? Good question. So yeah. most people, like when they go to when they go to heroin or go for heroin, they're, you know, some people have transitioned to Suboxone or they're using some other like like pills or some other opiates. Which what, um, stops them from going into withdrawal? Well, it depends. A lot of people are just, you know, addicted to, you know, the other forms of the, the of uh, the opiate. Okay. You know, like I was a like a Vicodin addict, right? Okay. I, I never went to heroin. But heroin is really short acting. Okay. Which is good. So if you're going in just for heroin, you go to the clinic, they get you off the heroin, and they give you huge doses of Valium and Xanax wow, for like three days or morphine. Most people use morphine. Okay. All right. They, they get you on big doses of morphine and they'll actually give you Valium and Xanax too. Okay. Right. And after like 72 hours, you're clean off of the opiates. They give you that flood dose of so, Ibogaine. So if I took Valium and 
Xanax, I would what feel relaxed and kind of numb at the same time. It just right. keeps me from going into that like it, sick state. It, well, you'll probably still get sick, but you won't care as much about it. Yeah. You won't be like freaking out about it. Yeah. Okay. Right. So you're just just sedated. Okay. Like basically, you're just you know less energetic. If you didn't have that, you would be out of your skin. Okay. So let's just say you're on Suboxone. Okay. That's a longer half life. It's a longer acting opiate. People actually will transition and go back to heroin to get on the shorter, shorter acting one and then do the protocol I just explained to you. Very interesting. Big doses of morphine, Xanax, and Valium. So it takes, so they, three days they detox them. Yeah, typically. And then that's when they're like full. The reason three days is because now there should be fully clear of also the, like the withdrawal piece too. Well, is that why or no, the withdrawal. So there's something called uh, like withdrawals are going to be in your system, like for sure. Yeah. What Ibogaine does is it gets rid of the withdrawals by cleaning the receptors in the brain. Now, our body makes opiates naturally. That's why we have receptors in our brain. Yeah. Through years of exogenous use, um, those receptors are corroded. So your body does not recognize your brain does not recognize your body making its own natural opiates, which you get from like working out hmm. or any type of uh, feel, the feel good chemicals in our brain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And basically your <clears throat> your brain thinks that you're totally withdrawing. And um, <clears throat> and what's so once you do the Ibogaine, it cleans those receptors. Yeah. And when you come out of the experience, now your body's re- your brain is recognizing your body's making of natural opiates. Okay. And you're you're back to uh, you know to homeostasis. You've reset the system. You've reset the system. Now there's something called pause post acute withdrawal syndrome, which still is more of like a mental addiction. It's more psychosomatic. Yeah. So it's and, not really the 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 chemical piece. It's more of just like maybe desiring it. It's or? just like yeah, <clears throat> like you know like mental addictions. And that lasts. When you say acute, does that mean it's very <clears throat> sharp and only lasts a, sh- a sh- it, short period of time? It, it, can, it can come on strong, like out of nowhere, and it feels like a pretty intense. And usually like can be mitigated with um, wh- uh, whatever strategy is set up. And there's several different strategies to, to meet it. Um, there's natural strategies. There's um, definitely pharmaceuticals that or some people take a microdose of Ibogaine. Oh, interesting. In which, uh, so what's cool about Ibogaine is it gets processed through the liver. So when you basically process it, it gets stored in your fat cells. So the more body fat you have, it's like having a time release of it in your system. Oh, interesting. So women actually uh, have about a 90-day window where it stays in your body. And it's like being slowly released. So you have access to the effects of it, which has a lot of neuroplasticity. There is no psychedelic that has more neuroplasticity than Ibogaine. Really? And it's so powerful that people have been able to learn a new language, like like pick up Spanish totally or French in a 90-day period and be fluent in it. Wow. So when you take Ibogaine, what is the experience of like you've come off heroin, you take it. Is it still that 18 to 36-hour like intense experience? Or what is what so is, you come off heroin, yeah. you do the ibogaine. Now, I've had people tell me that like within the first six hours of it, they've actually had an experience where they, they have felt their addiction leave their body. Wow. Like uh, one of the class, one of my teachers, um, I have two great ibogaine teachers. They they used to be married, Asha and Rocky Caravelli. Okay, and Rocky is one of the 
pioneers who brought Ibogaine to North America, he worked with Howard Lutzoff. Howard Lutzoff is the person who accidentally took Ibogaine as a heroin addict and discovered that he, he didn't have withdrawal symptoms back in like 1967. Wow. Right? So Rocky goes way back, and his story is that he basically like was like like holding a tree and the tree was holding him and like this wind came through it and like like basically like his addiction was like leaves coming off of a tree just leaving him and he just felt himself be free of it that was like in the first six hours um ibogaine's a very hard it's called grandfather medicine okay. so it's very uh masculine it's very stern um and so i know a lot of people say that you know and i I get what you're saying, but how would you describe like ayahuasca is like grandmother energy, right? Or more feminine, uh huh, brutal but feminine. <laughs> but <laughs> but how do you describe how do you so how do you describe to people that have never experienced masculine and feminine energy in a plant? Like when someone's asking, they're like, "What do you yeah. mean? Like how do you well, describe it?" Think about like how your your grandfather is going to show you tough love. He's just going to be right to the point. There's going to be no riddles. True. Okay. You know, like yeah. it's going to be like, this is how it is. Like, here's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and deal with it. Yeah. And and you know, like, be a man, grow the fuck up. Yep. Like, yeah. That's a great way. Of explaining you know, it. and the feminine energy is gonna be more, more flowy. It's mm -hmm. gonna come in and out of timelines it's going to be all encompassing it's going to involve more of the totality of humanity where i begins all about you it's all about you wow so which i imagine you know being like an addict that straight to the point is very helpful well, it can be um that's why i'm very um I prefer working with people before they do the medicine some some people are just not spiritually ready for this experience which means it it can add trauma to people yeah. i've had people come out of it who were just not ready for that i feel like that's true for any psychedelic really oh, like yeah you know when we were in mexico you know, both were at separate times but both down there i remember after what was it i think it was the third ceremony i remember looking at my roommate and being like this is not for everybody this is definitely not for everybody no. And, th and that was in that ceremony, that retreat was probably the most deep, dark shadow work type ceremony I've ever done. And I've done all kinds of different psychedelics and ceremonies mm -hmm. here and there. But that was the most just like raw. Do you understand when I saw you in the parking lot and you told me that? I had this wave of relief come over me. I, like, I was like, oh, thank God. I was like, <clears throat> I feel like not bad that you went, because my experience was just that, but it's been beautiful. Yeah. And it's been amazing. But man, like I, the biggest message I got was this is not something that you recommend to anybody or not no. recommend to anybody. It's just something you don't it, recommend. It's almost, it, it's almost like I've done another two ayahuasca experiences one was more of like a microdose like hybrid retreat in guatemala another one was one here out in texas that was more you know group therapy ish and amazing but this is almost to the point where it's so hard to even explain and talk about mm -hmm. yeah you don't either recommend it or talk about it or not rec it's almost like 
I feel like we went to war mm-hmm. and we don't talk about it. And I can only talk about it with you yeah. because it's the only person I can even yeah. try to begin to make sense of what happened. Amen, brother. Um, <laughs> you know, so let's talk about it. Yeah, let's talk um, about it. Four nights. Same, same, same as you, four nights. Four ceremonies. Okay. Yep. Over what? Six, seven five days. days. Five days. I mean, the whole retreat was seven days. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. the four ceremonies were in a five-day span. Yeah, five-day span. The first night is what we called the handshake. Mm-hmm. Well, first, what what led you what led you down there? What about Ooh. this retreat with Roma and Master Sui? That awesome. Um, you know, going back to before I came out to Austin, um, I've literally been on a breadcrumb breadcrumb trail of synergies for many years, mm-hmm. um, and there's been dozens of them. Probably about a hundred of them. Yeah, I was on that path um, about twenty years ago, right around the millennium. I started having having a whole bunch of synergetic experiences happen, where I, I literally was following that breadcrumb trail, and I was trying to figure it all out because it felt like the implications of it were massive, and I felt like this, like 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 this calling to do whatever my part was to contribute, and step into like this, like like this level of importance, this calling, this like almost like I was the chosen one to do something. Mm. And in that experience back then, I ended up going through a lot of my own crises in my life, and because of fear, I abandoned that path. And it's just ironic that. All these years later, I would say this breadcrumb trail picked up again back in, I would say the right at the beginning of 2019. And it is literally right where it left off back then. I mean, I could give you dozens of examples of it, but what led me to this particular retreat was just a series of coincidences. And I, I don't say yes to a lot of things. I am very cautious about who I do medicine with. hundred percent. I'm the and same way. I'm not a, I'm not a, Ooh, look, a ceremony. Let's go do that. You know, I try to really look into the lineage, who's leading it, who's done it, their experience, the respect of the medicine, how much people understand about it, because there's a lot of just, you know, pop-up shops, quote unquote. And there's also from what I learned from like Roma, there's a lot of even just shamans or cuarenderos that, you know, don't have good intentions. That's true. And, you know, my teacher is Dr. Dan Engel. He's um, the one, coincidentally, I bumped into him literally at an ecstatic dance ceremony. Yeah. Almost knocked him over. He is a small man. And as I'm apologizing to him, as you would in ecstatic dance, which is like silently being like, sorry, bro. Yeah. The lights came on and very jokingly, he starts getting in my face like, what are you doing bumping into me? Like, you know, you want to fight? And... I recognized him from a podcast and on that podcast, I noticed that he works with addiction recovery. I was fresh in recovery, like a couple years, about, about three years in and knew that I was called to be of service in some way. I changed careers from being a wine sommelier, which is an expert of wine, like in restaurants. Oh, wow. Okay. I, you know, I, was doing that for a while. And I, I just stepped away from that 
because of my own addictions and, you know, just the lifestyle with restaurants. I, you know, I was great at it. I was passionate about it. I had fun doing it. It just wasn't, I didn't feel like I was really contributing enough mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the way and sharing all of my gifts. So I became a personal trainer in recovery oh. and a sports nutritionist. And I did that for a few years. And when I moved back to Seattle to pursue my health and wellness career, I joined Fit for Service which is from Aubrey Marcus, yeah. this mastermind program, just because I never heard of Aubrey before. I never watched a podcast before. I decided to watch a Joe Rogan podcast for the first time. And on that episode was Dorian Yates talking about DMT. And it just blew my mind. The next episode that came on the next day, because it'll be like, you like that episode, watch this episode, was one with Diamond Dallas Page, who was a championship wrestler. Which his documentary is amazing. I waited tables in college in Atlanta, which was where the championship wrestlers were located. Wow. Diamond Dallas was my Sunday regular, and he was awesome. Wow. Him and his wife would come in and see me every Sunday yeah. for about six months, and they were two of my favorite people. Yeah. And just to see what he was doing with his life, helping people in recovery and people who are overweight and with his yoga program. Oh, incredible. I mean, you know, before that, rewind you know, to the beginning of my story, I used to weigh almost 400 pounds. So like I've lost a massive amount of weight of weight. How long did it take you to lose that? Um, I did it over like a two year period. How old old were you? I was fortunate enough to be young enough to like not have like a ton of loose skin. I still have elasticity. But, you know, by the time I was 22, I weighed 360, at least the last time I weighed myself. And then by the time I was 25, I weighed 180. So I've gone through a bunch of transformation in my life many times. And that's just some of the physical. I I have a lot more transformations I've been through. I fixed like major health problems with diet. Um, I've also lived in like lots of places and reinvented myself like many times. I'd Um, I'd be interested, you know, and we'll dive into this, but, you know, through all of your changes and transformation, especially with health, what would you say are some of your kind of key principles for people that want to have better health or transition to better health. I think before the podcast started, you know, you said to me that one of the things ayahuasca was teaching you was really comes down to the body. Mm-hmm. Could you elaborate on that? Um, yeah. Um, let me finish with the diet in Dallas and I'll segue into that. Yeah, let's do it. So that was the second podcast and I just, this antenna went up in me. That like, like I, yeah, I want to do something like that. I want to impact the world, share my story and help people. Cool. And then the third podcast that came on the next day was Joe Rogan with Kyle Kingsbury. And I got curious about Kyle and saw on it. And that's how I found Aubrey. And within a month, I'm like, I want to go out there and meet these people. I wish they had like some type of event or, you know, like maybe are they at Paleo FX? Um, that's in Austin. Maybe I can meet him then. And I'm like, man, I just wish there was some way. And then the next day I got an email saying that we're starting this fit for service mastermind. Wow. And which is access to this community. And here's the problem. It's a thousand dollars a month. Thousand dollars. I'm not rich. You know, like I'm like a thousand dollars a month. I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's like my rent. Yeah. Yeah. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I, I wish this into existence. I have to do it. Mm-hmm. I have to. So I just 
made it happen. I don't even know how I made it happen. I know I worked my ass off and I picked up shifts and whatever. And, and I ended up doing it. And that's where I met Dr. Dan doing ecstatic dance. And he suggested I check out the being true to you program and synergetically the person that actually built that program was someone that I worked in a restaurant with 15 years earlier. Whoa. Yeah. And that's just like the first of like many, like crazy, you know, synergetic things. I mean, even the whole, like how I found the podcast and you know, that's how I ended up here. So what would you say is how do you, how do you follow those synergies or how do you feel like you, you know, cause I feel like there's a lot of people in their lives that they don't see any synergies. They don't see any flow or experiences like that. And I've had period of times in my life where I have none. It's almost like everything's dull. And then there's periods of time where every moment or every day or every week, I'm like, oh, I know I'm on the right path because I feel these like links Amazing. happening mm -hmm. and these flow. And I can feel the energy like increasing and flowing faster like I have in the last week or two. But I don't know how to describe. It's, I love this question. And it's going to go like segue into that other part. Like, how do you know with your body? Um, in integration, um, I help people get in relationship with all the different parts of themselves. Because yeah. when you take a psychedelic, that is a self-induced crisis in which you disintegrate. Mm -hmm. And when you integrate, you put yourself back together. Mm -hmm. So the first part of integration is just learning the difference between your soul self and your ego self. Your soul self is going to encourage you. It's going to kind of beckon you to do that crazy thing that sounds awesome and it's really scary hmm. doesn't really make a whole much in practical sense mm -hmm. but man it's kind of calling to me that's your soul speaking to you your ego is geared to protect you it's going to come up with all the practical reasons why you shouldn't do things and just like a parent it's going to be like man i don't know man you know like that so i just started listening more to my soul language Mm -hmm. Which was that, man, this really doesn't make sense, but man, do I want to do this? This sounds awesome. And I fucking love that. And, you know, the more my mind couldn't even come up with a reason why, the better. Because my mind is geared to protect me, too. Mm -hmm. So that was the that's the biggest thing I would ask people. Kind of like really check in. Is are you, are you trying to protect yourself or are you trying to, like, encourage yourself, explore yeah, in, in don't worry, don't think about it in practical terms. Mm -hmm. Like, do you feel really drawn towards it? And don't worry about the practic practicality of it. Especially with someone like me who who's lived in th three other countries and several other, other American cities who's moved across the country with less than 500 bucks to his name several times, less than 100 bucks to his name a couple times. And it's always worked out. Never been hungry, never starved, never been homeless. Like... There's no reason for me to like think worst case scenario yeah. there. I and thought, yeah. so I like that. I'm like, wow, that's so crazy. The thing I'm really scared of is like, it's like I have no proof of that. Like zero proof of that in my own life. That's incredible. Okay. So we were saying our intentions for going down there. So you said you met Dr. Dan. Met Dr. Dan. So when breadcrumb trail synergy. So I just start like I'm the type of person who has experiences and then finds out later what it means.
<laughs> I'm the same. And it's like, and, I'm and, like, and, I need to sign up for and, this thing because I think something good's going to happen, but I don't know what's going to happen. And this antenna gets created in me and I start attracting more and more pieces of the puzzle, more and more information. And it's really kind of cool. I remember the first time when I was a little kid, yeah. I figured out how to lock the doorknob on the bathroom by like pushing the doorknob in and twisting it. Yeah. Like one of those old school 70s ones. Yeah. And I figured it out by myself. Yeah. And I was like so proud. I was like, oh my God, I did. I was like four years old. Yeah. It's kind of like that, like the same philosophy of like, there's this joy, this this beginner's eye, this purity about coming to things on your own and then someone having you having to tell you like, dude, that's like the law of relativity, dude. Like, you know, it's like you didn't invent that. I'm like, <laughs> I know, but I came to it on my own. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. And so it's kind of been like that. So all I can tell you was a really good friend of mine who she she's my best friend in the whole world here in Austin. We've become really close brother to sister, just family, trust her completely. She sends me and I, I said, you know, I'm turning 50 in July and I just have this weird knowing that I'm supposed to go to Mexico. I, I've known this for a while. I feel like I'm supposed to live there and there's something for me down there. And I, I just kind of feel like now is the time I want to say yes to do an ayahuasca because I've said no several times. And she's like, that's crazy because I just got an email and I'm going to send it to you. And it's the one with Roma's page. And I looked at it and as soon as I saw Sui, that man, that face, that smile, I knew that was him. Mm. That's, that's how I knew. That's how I knew. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Mm. And, you know, I'm still, you know, in the process of, you know, don't know why him. You know, it's not like we had like a really close experience there. Mm -hmm. But I know that experience there was it's definitely the hardest thing i've ever done willingly yes okay. i've had a lot of hard things happen but willingly like i'm choosing to go do this number one i would i would agree with you you know there was after the third ceremony i remember going back the third ceremony was the hardest for me and i think everybody everyone in that ceremony got their shit rocked and I remember going back to the room and my roommate was this amazing guy. He was signed up, was in the Iraq war at age like 18, just turned 18. In six months, he had like half his platoon die. And, you know, we'd spend nights, you know, rolling, you know, tobacco cigarettes and like talking about the ceremony. And he would share things from the war and all these experiences that were just like. Mm. And was it Andy? Yeah. Yeah. Just life changing. And that man himself needs to be on this podcast because. That man is a true yogi. He's like a walking saint. The things he's been through in his life and the things he's seen and then to be there still working on himself and choosing like love and growth is absolutely fucking mm -hmm. incredible. He's a to have him as a roommate was a gift. And I remember coming back on the third ceremony and saying to him like I felt like I went into a dragon's lair willingly. And I'm in the dragon's lair. And I'm battling a fucking dragon. And I'm like, why the fuck am I here right now? And there were so many moments of like that feeling, literally, and like, I need to get out of this cave and stop battling this thing. But you're there. And that was in the moment when I realized you have to want to be there for a ceremony like that. Because if you were kind of on a whim or you showed up because someone convinced you, be no way. Mm -hmm. There just would be no way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel you. That's um, 
I'm curious about how all the other ceremonies went. There was four different yeah. weeks and you were one of the four ceremonies just like I was. And there was two other ones that were yeah. three. Well, so I'll tell you my intention. My intention was to come back more into alignment with my own health. Just like I feel like I needed a hard reset. Mm. And what was so great about the ceremony, like the retreat, you know, you're eating only really twice a day. You're eating no sodium, mostly plant-based with some protein, which I like. Very low calories. So what Master Sui says, you know, weak body, strong spirit. And you see this a lot of in practices in different cultures of, you know, restricting food or challenging the body through, you know, dieting to strengthen the spirit. You see this a lot in, you know, rites of passage or ceremonies mm -hmm. in different tribes. And it's true. You know, you're not so attached to your physical body. Uh, and it's just a, I remember after the very first ceremony, my digestion was kind of funky for the last month or so. And it was like completely reset after that first ceremony. Because the medicine itself is, I think it's a very strong anti-inflammatory. It's a very strong, um, it helps a lot with people who have IBS or Crohn's. It is just a, in itself, mm -hmm. a very healing physical medicine, especially for the digestive system. And if you think your digestive system is very responsible for the serotonin in your brain and your mood, it's almost like a mind reset just in taking it, even if it didn't have a psychedelic component to it, right? So, you know, my intention was to reset and connect with my body, also just to give myself a rest. You know, I moved down here two years ago and I've just been hustling my ass off since I got down here, you know, because I wanted to and I left Seattle two years ago. But, you know, you got to rebuild a business, travel down in your car and doing this and that, but you get hardened over time, right? You know, you don't, you don't have that, you know, spending a couple hours or a day or two in nature is not the same as taking a week and disconnecting from your phone, reconnecting to food. And so that was one of my main intentions mm. is reconnecting to that. Also, I'm an explorer, you know, I'm, a, I'm an explorer of indigenous culture. You know, I have this wellness fitness podcast and I think it's my responsibility to be able to dive into these things that could provide healing for people and present them. And who are we to help people if we don't go through it ourselves? Yeah. You know, so that's why we're mm. the kind of people we are, experiential people, because you can't be a leader if you don't go do these things, right? True. And I'm curious, and we only have a very small time on this planet. There's so many wild, interesting things. I wanna go explore them, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, that's that was one, of, you know, it's hard for me to like, talk about one intention because i've had uh, it's almost just like a, it's a it's a there's a there, yeah the thing is when i did a ceremony before it's almost until you drink the cup do you know mm -hmm. why you drink the cup totally and that's so, why you don't really think about it too much you have like a general and you had a calling right you mm -hmm. said you had a calling i've been being called to mexico too i know when i saw that retreat i was signed up for another retreat here in texas mm -hmm. as soon as i saw this one i was like nope yeah this guy I want to learn from, I want to connect with, I want to understand, I want to feel, I want to experience all that's going on here. Mm -hmm. I, I would have to say that this ceremony began um, in the beginning, at the end of 2020, the first time I smoked toad. That's, that was like my beginning of this process. And, and all the like lessons I've gotten from the first time I smoked toad to the second time I smoked toad, to the first time I did MD, the only time I did MDMA assisted therapy. Yeah. And then to this experience here, 
And uh, there's several uh, experiences with uh, NN DMT in between and that they all relate to each other because it has to do with um, the relationship with the medicine. The medicine has that very trickster energy to me. Yeah, I have a little bit of the Hayoka in me, which is the sacred clown. Okay. Okay. Cool. And that means I, I, I'm a good sport. I, I like to kind of, I have humor as medicine and I definitely can like look at the parts of myself that, that are just, you know, I would say the shadow parts of myself with some humor and, and some compassion there. And, and humor is the best way for me to move through it. But um, if, you know, like the best way that I can like learn any lesson is when people call me out of my shit and like show me like how, what a hypocrite I'm being or just duh. And that's very much the relationship that I have with DMT, which is also the psychoactive component in ayahuasca. So there's a little bit of that flavor there. It likes to show me how much I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, so in that, with the MDMA-assisted therapy, um, I closed my heart ceremonially about 15 years ago because of a series of just, you know, bad relationships. And then, uh, you know, just, you know, me making myself the victim in it and being unable to get out of that and move through it. So I decided like I have this warrior energy in me. I'm going to decide to close my heart and I'm going to stick that flagpole in the ground and be like, this section's closed. And in my addiction recovery, I, I actually did a lot of work there and I no longer felt that way, but I never really ceremonially took the flag out of, out of the ground. Mm -hmm. So this was my first gesture with the MDMA assisted therapy of opening up this closed heart, this hardened heart, this heart that feels like it, it's like calloused. Um, I've done hoppe where I've kind of felt like a layer of that callous heart come off almost like you ever feel like you have a scab and you rip it off and there's that really thin skin underneath that's kind of pussing. Mm -hmm. That's what my whole heart has felt like with hoppe. But I, there's like this intelligence that's inside my body that if I open up my heart, it reconfigurates and goes back to that hardening. And I'm just, I'm stuck. I don't know like how to move through it. I've been doing all the work and I feel like a, like a lot of my experiences and this is what medicine has shown me. I, I even my spirituality has, has always been a, a series of intellectual agreements. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, it's something that, that sounds like, you know, my, you know, my philosophy, I align with that. And then medicine showed me the whole, the full embodied experience of things where my intellect was shut down. My ego was just gone and I just became, and that's what Toad did for me. So my intention was to have that again, was to have a full embodied experience to get out of my own way, to open up my heart, to, you know, as a Hayoka energy, that's a very powerful empath in working with the type of clients that I work with in addiction recovery and I work with really um, extreme chronic crisis situations. And I'm like on the front line with that. And I've noticed from being intimately close in those situations that I have started to take on physically other people's symptoms. So another intention of mine was to like, no, what is mine even? What is mine? 
help me open up this heart mm-hmm. and teach me in a way that my lower self can understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm I, like, I know all the right answers for the higher self, mm-hmm. but that's like in the way of me embodying a full experience. And the other thing that I noticed in my own uses with NNDMT and my own meditation practice over the, the past three years, I've, you know, gone deep with meditation and breath work and I've had some psychic abilities come online and which has nurtured the, my empathetic uh, abilities. Uh, I just don't know how to wield it. I just have things happen. And like I said before, I have experiences and then I figure it out later. And I was starting to have some confusion and on what is real and what isn't real. And what I noticed was there seems to be a consciousness out there that is just as vast and as big as natural consciousness. And this feels like an artificial intelligence consciousness. I'm noticing it's very machine-like, it's very gears, it's false lights, it's robotic. It's, and it feels like this sinister energy that's going on. Hmm. It feels very male. Hmm. In one of my own realizations in the last year, this was my identity when I was at Kuya. I've had people tell me that I help them feel safe in a place where vulnerability is your strength. And that's a very feminine energy. Healing is a feminine space. And as a man, I, I, I hold that as, as a badge of honor if I could help people feel safe. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I incorporate feminine energy, but there's this masculine energy. What is the divine masculine? Why am I a man in this space? And what is my role? And I, I don't want to carry what's not mine anymore as an empath. I know that's not the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And I know I need to move through some of this darkness and open up this heart that's protecting me. Something's protecting me. And I, I want that to go to rest. I had the feeling, just this feeling for like a year. It's just this repeated phrase in my head that there's something that I used to hang my hat on that I identify myself as being a good person that I need to bring to rest, like a part of myself, mm-hmm. the part of myself that's loyal. The part of myself that's that gives till it hurts. Like I used to be like, awesome, that's good quality to have. That makes me a good person. Now I qualify for love. Mm. I deserve love now. And that just doesn't cut it anymore. Or maybe never did. Wow. And maybe that's something I've done in lots of lives. So it sure feels like it. So there's like all these things coming into the ceremony that I brought. And I, all of them got got met, all of those requests, and in a very painful way, uh, a beautiful way. Wow. In, in a way that I explain, because being an intellectual person who gets things, I uh, tend to skip steps. Like growing up in school, I was really great at math. I wouldn't show my work. I would just get to the answer like that. And then later on in life, when I'm taking calculus, uh, that was a problem. Yeah. And ayahuasca would not let me understand anything and move on. It said, no, no. <laughs> okay, we're going to go through every floor of this building. And we're going to shine a light in all those dark places. And you're going to feel energetically what it is to be of highest vibration and of lowest vibration and all the spaces in between. That's an interesting, that's an interesting way of saying that. 
and I want to talk about that. We'll talk about that in the ceremonies. Let's talk about the prep preparation when we got there to do the ceremonies. So one of the first preparations is there's a two-week to four-week period of time where you're dieting a certain way, eating certain things. And I didn't really understand. And that's how I knew the ceremony was going to be much more intense because the ceremonies I've done before, they didn't really emphasize any of these things. And it wasn't until after I got through all the ceremonies, I'm like, now I understand everything. Now I understand the preparation. Now I understand why you should be meditating and eating this certain way. And I'll tell and I'll talk about that at the end of why all of that's important and why it's important now and what I think about being in ceremony and just being in normal life too. But when we get there, you know, we eat a very low, no sodium. You know, we only eat twice a day, especially if we're going to do ceremony at night. We stop eating at what, like 12? It's mostly the most amazing food, but really mostly raw and cooked, fresh vegetables, all fresh, like the best food you've ever eaten in your life. Mm -hmm. I was losing weight like crazy. Mm -hmm. um, you're so connected to, you know, your health, your vitality. And then we do a purging process, which is, I think, made of some kind of tobacco, right? Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. a, it's a liquid tobacco. And what you do is you take buckets and you drink these warm buckets of like smells as if someone took a cigar and put it in water mm -hmm. and you smelled cigar water <laughs> and you're drinking this water. How many buckets did you drink? So many. <laughs> so you're, the goal is you drink the buckets and as soon as you're done drinking it, you have to fill it up and you have to keep going. You can't stop. And you drink it, drink it, drink it. And you might drink three, four, five. And they look like you're drinking out of dog bowls, basically. These plastic dog bowls. There's a huge like a uh, pool with all this stuff in it. I maybe got like five, six in, and then you just like vomit, just projectile vomit. And this is a way of clearing the gut, but it also is clearing the psyche. It's preparing the psyche to not, in my mind, not have resistance to letting go, right? And clearing the gut. So it's really preparing the digestive system in your, your mind. What was it like for you? I have no problem like vomiting. I used to be bulimic. Oh, okay. <laughs> so like, yeah, I'm great with that. I yeah. know it makes you feel better. And yeah. um, that being said, I had to drink seven wow. bowls. Yeah. And I mean, I, I was so uncomfortable. Like I have no problem drinking nasty looking drinks, as you can see. Like I have a weird yeah. looking drink. I here. don't either. Like I, I've drank like, nasty protein shakes my whole yeah, life. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem. So like I have a strong gut when it comes to that. It, it became so uncomfortable. I was so full. And it's so interesting. Like you, you don't drink until you kind of want to throw up and you can't put your hands down your throat unless you really need to. You need to drink until your body says fuck you and just projectile vomits. And you need to do that. You need to have four different good quality projectile vomits until you're basically yeah. cleared for takeoff for the ceremony later. It, I got the seven and I kind of felt like I was like resisting. I just stuck my finger down my throat. And once I did that, yeah, for you, I, yeah. that cleared the way and amazing. Like, I felt amazing after. Oh it, yeah. It was amazing. You feel so good. Yeah. Yeah. You're clear. And I think, you know, and even going into the ceremonies, people always, that's the first question I always get or people always ask, like, do you throw up? And it's such a weird question now going through a ceremony or two and thinking it's the least of your worries, to be honest. And if anything, you should be blessed to throw up because a lot of times when you do throw up or you finally purge, it's so connected to something deep in your psyche, deep in your soul, deep in your energy. You're finally releasing 
It's like, thank fucking God I threw up. It sucks when you can't purge and you're in that limbo of like, why can't I? And, mm-hmm. and you're in the thoughts and memories and feelings and you can feel it kind of coming and you just, you, you, you can't purge. So mm-hmm. really a purging is a gift. I didn't purge once. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, I took all the medicine. Well, I'll, I'll take you through it. The, the, well, yeah, the, tell me about the first ceremony then. Okay, the first ceremony, the handshake was was beautiful. Um, I remember just, you know, I was probably where the where uh, the maestro was sitting. Say we'll call that twelve o'clock. Yeah, I was at six o'clock in the room. Okay, and there's an outer circle. There's sixteen people in ceremony. I was at six o'clock too. Yeah, awesome. Woo. So that's the energy I felt. All yeah. right. So were you at the like in the top of the the? the I was in the outer circle. circle. Then top of the yoga studio, you're close to the exit. Yeah, well, yeah, like just across from the where you'd be facing out of the clearing, like because yep. they were up there. Yep. And I was on the wall across. And then from the there. exits to your exits left. Exits to my left. Yeah, that's okay. where I was. So there's people around there, and then there's an inner circle of like four people. So there's like twelve people, say at every position of the clock. Mm-hmm. And then okay, so I'm probably the sixth person to go. Yeah. Out of sixteen. And I go up to the first one and I just trust him. I think he pours me a full cup. And I remember, you know, just sitting there in that 45 minutes of silence. And, you know, I've smoked a lot of NN DMT and the visuals I, I was getting was right on par with, oh yeah, this is DMT. I've been here before. Mm-hmm. And I remember as soon as he started singing the Icaros, witnessing it start to surgically work on me. I mean, when you see the Shipibo patterns that have like the weavings and the, like that, those are the Ikros. Hmm. And I saw the like my visual landscape turn into those patterns and just like start to work on me. Wow. And it was amazing that the first night it, it was hard. It was challenging, but it brought me to the point of like total unity like with source, like the oneness and it simplified life for me. Mm-hmm. It just well, it, like basically like I remember this moment of like giggling. It's just like we just are. How freaking cool is that? Let's have fun. Like it, it brought in the AI element and it said that AI is just trying to teach me how to play the game of life. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do you do when, when you're playing a game? You know, they're like, why do you do it? And I'm like, well, to have fun. They're like, yeah. And to, you know, do better than the time before, like it's the same, like kind of, you level up, you just improve a little bit, you have fun while you're doing it. And at one point I imagined myself building a roller coaster Hmm. and like, and the roller coaster had all these shapes to it. It had like, like loops that were like spirals. And I remember that like the circle turned into a spiral and it showed me about like, that's a level up when a circle turns into a spiral. And it was like showing me like all these different loops. And I remember being like, like super proud of building like this cool roller coaster. I remember I had a friend in college who like was in architecture school to be a roller coaster designer. I thought that was like the coolest thing. Mm-hmm. And I think I've told people in life, like I want to put in my resume, resume, like roller coaster designer, or, you know, it was like a cool like job. And I remember, the medicine was, it told me, don't forget to ride the co- the roller coaster you build. Hmm. It's like, have fun. Like, like build your life. You are the architect of it. Have fun doing it. 
Mm-hmm. And like that was essentially like the big message I got out of it was really knowing. And it gave me like a crash course on energy. It, it showed me like, well, first of all, the, the energy that started moving through me, you know, with the music, like just really penetrate your body to where like you become the energy. Mm-hmm. But then, then so what it did, it took me through the the crest of the wave and the, <laughs> the bottom of the wave. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, this is the highest energy where I felt the unity. And then I felt the bottom of the wave where I just felt like just, oh my God, just so horrible. Are you talking about the vibration? The vibration. Let's talk about that vibrational scale real quick. Because you do a great job explaining that. Mm-hmm. So death is no zero. Zero. And zero on like an actual measurement scale of energy right mm-hmm. so it's uh so david hawkins system and that book letting go yeah. that i read right before that was fresh in my mind yeah i've had that map of consciousness <clears throat> like like it, like saved my phone for years because i liked it I, and then yeah. when i got the book i'm like oh my god this is explaining this map yeah amazing and they have the lower ones in the red which and at 200 which is the baseline mm-hmm. that is where you get the courage and that starts to go in the upper half. So the bottom half is more towards fear. The upper half is more towards love. And it's a mm-hmm. logarithmic, which means so like it goes incrementally higher. 1000 is the top of it at enlightenment, mm-hmm. right? And at 200 is where it you know, starts in the upper half at courage. So below that are all the lower ones. So death is zero, right? Above death is shame. Shame is 20. And what I was witnessing was a lot of shame because in preparation for this whole experience, I, I did a really good job on a dieta. Good and job. I did a horrible job of getting off a of Kratom. Mm. And I, I, I tried to, and I, I, I weaned down on it. And I was starting to have some really bad, like, like hip pain. And I was like, I got to take a little. And I took a little and I'm like, shit, this is going to fuck me up in ceremony. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, no, it, well, I like looked it up. It's like people like it's not ideal, but it's not like marijuana where like and I just got in my head about it. So yeah. when I came in the ceremony, I was in it in the shame cycle about contaminating the medicine. Wow. And it not only showed me all the shame that I have for this moment, but all the shame I'm carrying for, you know, myself. Like I work in addiction recovery and I use creative medicinally, but sometimes I abuse it. Mm-hmm. So that's a very hypocritical thing to do. Totally. Right. And then all the clients that I work with, all the shame that they have. I mean, most of the work that I do with people is to help them get in a, a better relationship with the different parts of themselves that they, they've ignored which is mostly like the inner child, you know, but also the different parts of ourself, which is the, you know, the vibrations of consciousness. So I was getting schooled on that. And that's been a big part of my integration since that I've been working on, uh, you know, piggybacking off that book. It's really kind of changed the whole way I even go through my own integration process. And I'm probably going to go through that myself and make some tweaks and hopefully pass that on to other people, but it, it just showed me the shame of, um, the consciousness of men. Like you you call this a feminine medicine. I did not experience that at all. Everything I saw the entire time for four nights 
was male. It was aggressive. It was men in angst and pain and turmoil. And I felt this control and power Hmm. like to the point where it's like I was almost trying to fight it with my warrior energy, but I couldn't. Hmm. So I just, you know, at one point was just surrendered to it and was like, okay, like you have the power. I'm no power, like none. Like I surrender like and um, it it's it, it taught me a lesson right there. It's like, no, I'm not trying to overpower you. I'm trying to show you that we bow to each other because you are not bigger than your shame and your shame is not bigger than you. And we like, like, like it literally made me like physically bow. Like I couldn't even control my body. I bowed and like this being that I was looking at very male being like bowed back at me and shared that. And then we exchanged information through our crowns. And then he's like, we also bowed each other because we exchanged information this way. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that yeah, was the first night. Did, how much time we got? We got no more time. You're 59. 59? Yeah. Should we cut it or can you go a little longer or what, I, it's up to you? We can do like 10 minutes. Okay. We'll keep okay, going 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And then we'll do a part two. Totally. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I knew it was going to take. Yeah. No, there's I so much to like. Yeah. How do you get this in an it's hour? Not, no. Are you kidding? <laughs> We just now got. I mean, we just it. got through the handshake. <laughs> no, right? I know it's like a ceremony in itself, just to kind of go through it. It is just to drop in. Yeah, I want to explain this: how the ceremony starts. It begins by sitting in a circle. Everyone has a mat, pillows if you need it. You have your bucket. You have this florida. I think mm-hmm. it's a flower mixture that you can rub on your hands and face and breathe in when you're having hard moments. Um, you can have your mapacho, which is like cigar tobacco that can help kind of like ground you. Um, and it's also a way of blowing away negative. It's mm-hmm. almost like saging smudging, yourself. Smudging, yeah. Smudging, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we all sit in a circle and Mestero Sui comes in. He doesn't say anything. He maybe chats with Roma. You come to the middle and he pours for you. And you kind of decide or he can decide for you how much you want and you drink. Everyone goes back and you sit in complete darkness for an hour, mm-hmm. complete darkness. And as that hour goes on and you're hearing all the sounds of the jungle and it's dark, you start to hear maybe people breathing heavier mm-hmm. and you hear maybe someone starting to like maybe laugh or just like aches or moans or then you maybe very quickly you start to hear people purging and going through their processes. And then about an hour in, depending on, Mestero decides if he wants to begin singing or not singing. And I remember the first ceremony being so in it, and all of a sudden, you just hear him singing. You're like, is that real? Is that really happening? And he starts to sing. And what he does is after, before all of this begins, he sits down with each individual person and talks to them and asks them about their intention and connects with them directly. Then once, you know, he's in the ceremony and hours gone by, he sits directly in front of you. You're supposed to sit tall or kneel so you can take in the vibration, the energy of the Icaros, which is a song he chants that he channels through himself from the plant. And remember, this Mastero, he's been practicing with medicine since he was 14, Mm -hmm. right? 
He's very connected with this medicine. And when you experience him sitting in front of you, singing to you, I can't even begin to describe the experience. It's, 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 it's wild. And I can see how the dieta and your meditation practice is so important because if you can sit there and focus and be of no mind, this, the music acts as this portal that you can enter. And there was only one ceremony where I was able to kind of open the portal, but I couldn't hold it. Mm. And, and it was in that moment I just learned so much about like, wow, this is way more in-depth than I ever could have imagined that all of this is. And ayahuasca is just only one of the beginning plants of many, 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 many plants in the Amazon that you died on mm -hmm. to learn from, to grow from, to connect with, to mm -hmm. understand. It's so in-depth. It's absolutely incredible. It's like, I feel like I barely even scratched the surface of understanding what even exists in the realms of life. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the lessons that you get very clearly in that energetic exchange. It's like, whew, this is just a tip of this iceberg and there's so much more out there that you don't have any idea about. You have no control about any of this. You are not in the driver's seat at all. And when he's singing in front of you and that vibration of energy, like you become that vibration of it, it is, it, it's surgery. That's the only way I could talk about it. It is like yeah. energetic surgery that is, but it's more than that. It's so intimate. Like it knows you so well mm -hmm. in a way that it's, there's like this familiarity of like this entourage of beings that are there and it's very confusing, but you feel very supported at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, and it will take you to the point where you have to ask for help. That was one of the lessons it taught me is like, okay, okay. And I would be like, I knew in my intellect, I can ask for help. I can ask for help. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I actually had to go to the bathroom really bad. I had diarrhea that I was holding in and he's coming up like he's two people away from me. And I'm just like, he's getting close. Should I do the flashlight now oh, yeah. or should I try to hold it? And I had to use the flashlight and Roma comes over. And I remember just she comes through this like she comes through and she shows up. She's small, probably like five foot tall, if that. Yeah. And she appears white face glowing like looking like an ancient being that's like a thousand years old but like alien looking her eyes were huge beautiful and she was surrounded by like 30 foot tall beings and she's like are you gonna come i'm like who do i go with <laughs> like and i had to grab her hand and go walk through that crowd in the dark yeah and, and you're probably in it too. I had this experience where you're like, do I have to go to the bathroom or do I not really oh have to go God. to the bathroom? I can't fucking tell what my body's the doing right gratitude now. Gratitude that I had for her. And that was my first lesson of asking for help and like showing that I'm being taken care of. Because after that, every time I asked for help, it was like inward. Mm -hmm. And that's what I call my self-healing intelligence. It came and I witnessed surgery on myself and it would take me to the point where it was like really hard and I would be like, I have to ask for help and this consciousness in my body. I mean, I would feel like parts of my body had like consciousness, like my heart had a consciousness, my liver, my stomach, my kidneys, 
all were relating with each other and like speaking like behind me. I mean, you, you kind of hear voices and sounds like it's mm-hmm. all around you kind of echoing in a weird way with, you know, just being in that room. Mm-hmm. But it was just, I felt hands on me, like taking care of me. Like, like, you know, like, okay, well, like, we're gonna, we're gonna, you're okay. We're gonna go a little deeper and like, I'll be like, okay, okay, cool. And that was really probably the coolest part of my whole experience mm-hmm. was witnessing um, in action how my self-healing intelligence worked. Wow. And just the cadence of like taking into a point where I would have to ask for help and immediately being right there and be like, okay, we're here, but we're going deeper. And, and it was just like a constant cycle of that, which got deeper into the second. My, you say your third night, ours yeah. was the second night. Really? Okay. Well, uh, we'll save that for the next, yeah. cause we're going to end soon, but I'll say this about the first night. Very quickly did I purge. It was almost like I didn't even think about it. I just purged. I didn't purge any of the other nights. Several times I wanted to, but I couldn't. I, it was just, it was, it was all over the place. But the first night, quickly, boom. And I felt like the purge because they say with ayahuasca, you can clear energy and you can clear karma and you can clear past trauma seven generations back and affect seven generations forward. And so I feel like there was pieces I cleared for family members mm-hmm. and people in the past that immediately came out. And in the first ceremony, the thing I felt the most was like how gnarly death is and that I can't still to this day get it out of my mind. It's like I could feel death so strong of like the pain of dying, the feeling of pain, the feeling of death coming, the feeling of like how, yeah, as you're dying, you become very helpless and you have a lot of reliance on other people and as everyone goes whether you just have a heart attack and drop dead you will go through this like very vulnerable period of time that is going to be hard and awful and painful and it's going to be extremely hard and i remember at one point like thinking one day we will all have to just close our eyes and surrender to just letting go to that moment of just Mm -hmm. being like and so from that moment to now I'm still trying to make sense. It's not where some people talk about ayahuasca where they have like this or psychedelics where they have this like, I realize I'm connected to all things. And I've had an experience-ish like that in the past, but this was almost like, how do I make sense of this very short period of time I have right now? We're all going to die and it's going to come quickly and everyone ends up leaving and it's not an easy exit most times, unless you're blessed. So how do you live? And how do you make sense of all of this? Mm. And what is really important? And that's like my constant reflection. It's like, it's like I can, it's like, it's always in my rear view mirror now, Mm -hmm. it's coming. And so I'm like, super conscious of like, what, what is what is all this? Like, what is this all about? And how should I be? And so that's like my big co- contemplation, mm-hmm. right? So and, I've been thinking about that a lot. And did that uh, show up in your other ceremonies? No, it changed. Okay. Then it went to. Then it went. I went yeah. on to like different intentions mm-hmm. and different things. Mm-hmm. Cool. 